Um, today's reading will be from the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Um, you can find it in the Pew Bibles on page 825. So please turn and read with me. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who, by nature, are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. This is the word of God. Morning, everyone. I just want to take a few moments to introduce our speaker before he comes up. Um, many of you probably have not had an opportunity to meet uh, Joseph Wu yet. Uh, Joseph is one of our seminarians who's going to be starting his third year at Gordon-Conwell uh, beginning in uh, August or September, uh, whenever the fall semester starts. And uh, he's been with us for the uh, past two years while he's been at Gordon-Conwell. Um, he's helping out with our Caris. Uh, our young adult fellowship, so many of our young, young adults and college students know him, but I know some of our older members have not had the opportunity to meet him yet. Uh, he's originally from uh, New York, uh, from the Brooklyn area. I'm not sure if he's a New York sports fan, uh, but if so, don't hold that against him uh, for those of you who are New England fans. Yeah. Um, but I'll just maximize his time, so Joseph, please come up and share with us the word of God. Hello. Thank you, Pastor David. Good morning, guys. So today, I'm actually going to start us off with a little story. I think it's on. There you go. Our story is about a little boy who grew up in a Christian home with his parents and his two siblings. He grew up going to church every Sunday, going on retreats. He knew what a Christian life was like. And that was his whole childhood. But then when he reached high school, the things that he wanted to do, the things that he liked, was different. He started to seek after things like a girlfriend, or being cool, or playing games online. His days were spent on AIM, if you guys still remember what that is. 
he would hang out late with his friends, or he would even play Maple Story, for those of you who remember that is. He, his goals and his, the things that he did completely changed. Then, one summer day in his junior year, he went on a retreat. Now, we've all been on retreats before, but for him, this retreat was different. At this retreat, he was convicted because God challenged him with whether he really knew what his religion was about. You see, he grew up going to church. He was part of children's choir. He went to Sunday school. He was leading in youth worship. But he didn't really know what it meant to be in a relationship with Jesus. His faith was not his own, but it was his parents'. And so now he had to make a decision whether to continue living his life of facade or to come and get to know who this Jesus that everybody else seems to be so passionate about. And wouldn't you know it, he went home after that retreat and he was rededicated his life to Christ. He was ready to find out who this Jesus was. He was ready to live his life for Christ. And that would be a great testimony and end to our story. But the story isn't over. Because after a day, after a week, after a month, his passion started to dwindle. He started to lose sight and lose his passion for Christ and instead just went back to the things he worshipped before. Went back to relationships, went back to academics and works. Brothers and sisters, do we feel the same as him sometimes? Maybe we haven't all grown up in church, but we've come back from a retreat and we've, or we've gotten to know Jesus for the first time and we have that spiritual high. We're ready to go out and do everything we can for the Lord or to explore what it means to be a Christian. But after some time goes by, the fire starts to dwindle and we've put our faith to the side. Is that what we are supposed to do? Is that how we're supposed to live out our faith? Why don't we turn to Galatians? I know we've had... Thank you, Patek, for reading it for us. I'm not going to reread it for us. I'm just going to go straight into it. Because Paul here is frustrated and concerned about the Galatians. He mentions three times, more than he usually does, about how concerned he is. In verse 11, we see that he is afraid that he might have labored for them in vain. In verse 19, he says he's in the pains of childbirth for them until they, Christ has been formed in them. And in verse 20, he is perplexed. He is frustrated because they have turned from the God that he had taught them about and now been ch- convinced by these other teachers and these other Judaizers about what it meant to be a Christian. He, that was their life. They were changed. But aren't we like that? when we let the other things in the world take control. When we have that passion for Christ, but then we just go back to the things of the world. What are we to do? I think Paul is doing more than just venting his frustrations here. I think he's actually teaching us that what we need to do is to stand firm in our faith. To stand firm in our faith and hold fast to the gospel. In verses 8 to 11, we start off with how... Paul says that the Galatians did not know God at first, but then they came to know who God was. More than that, they came to be known by God. What does it mean to be known by God? I know you guys watch movies, so does anyone know who this is? Star-Lord? 
Or Chris Pratt, yes? How about this person? Katniss Everdeen? We probably all know of these people. We know these celebrities. But how many of us can say that we are actually known by them? Maybe one or two of you have gone to Hollywood and met them, but how many of us here are known by these celebrities? How about this person? Do we all know who this person is? It's Stan. Many of us, most of us here know who Stan is. And many of us can also say that we are known by Stan. What is the difference here? The difference is the relationship. God calls us into relationship with him. As we mentioned last, in last week's sermon, that the Galatians were at one point slaves to their gods. But now they are called to sonship. And there's a big difference between being a slave and being a son. Being a slave, you, don't, you eat differently. Being a son, you get to live differently, wear different clothes. You get an inheritance. You're loved. God calls us to that kind of relationship with him. But how can that be? How can we be with God when we are sinners? Because sin, by nature, separates us from God. You see, the Galatians, they thought that as long as they did the things of the law, as long as they went through circumcision, as long as they followed the rituals, they could be known by God. But Paul keeps telling them that it is not that. Throughout Galatians, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he tells them that it is Christ alone who justifies us. It is because of what Christ has done that we can be justified, that we can be in a relationship with God again. And so, our first step starts with being known by God. But how does that look? How can that look? Maybe we don't know what it means to be known by God. But for those of us who have entered into this relationship with God, what does this look like in our life? And I think this is where Paul calls us to have a change of heart. Our heart needs to be focused and centered on Christ. Christ needs to come first in every situation. So when we're faced with putting work before Christ, we can remember that we are no longer slaves to things like work. Not that we don't have to work anymore, because we do need to make money, we do have to survive, but that it's no longer our primary concern. And when we put things like relationships before Christ, we can remember that God calls us into a deeper relationship. Not that we forget and neglect our friendships, our family, our relationships, but that God's, the relationship we have with God is far more fulfilling and redeeming than any other relationship we can have on earth. For the boy in our story, his time, his challenge came in his senior year of high school. You see, he was in a relationship that was unhealthy at the time, and he was being challenged of whether to remain in that relationship or to live his life with his faith. He thought that as long as he's been doing all these good things, he's been serving in church, he's been helping out, he's been a good kid all around, how bad could things really be? And I think that's when Romans 6.23 hit him hard. 
he recognized that the wages for sin was death. But then he also saw that there was a gift that came from Jesus. That day, he chose Christ. Not because of the fear of death, but because he knew he had received a gift far greater than anything he could ever deserve. He recognized that because of Christ, his life was changed. Because of Christ, he now had a relationship and he could stand firm in his faith because of that relationship that he had with God. And so what are we to do with this faith that now we now have? Do we just let it sit idly by? No. We don't just let it sit somewhere. We see in Galatians chapter 4, 12 to 16, Paul starts telling us about how the Galatians have changed. They've changed. They used to love him. They used to care for him. But now they refuse and reject him. They used to be willing to gouge out their eyes for him, which is just a metaphor for how much they were willing to give up for him. But now they saw him as enemies. How did that change come about so abruptly? But for us, don't we also change very quickly too? Does anyone know what this is? Is that a Furby? How about this? Do we collect silly bands? Or maybe there was a time when we thought this was cool. At one point in our lives, we thought those were the things we needed to have. Everyone else had it, we needed to have one. Oops. We needed to have one. Where is it now? Do you know where your Furby is or where your fidget spinner is? Is it somewhere collecting dust underneath a bed or on the table? Do you even play with it anymore? Do we do that with our faith? When we're, when we're passionate about Christ, when we come back from that retreat and we're ready to learn about Jesus, we are there. We are with God. But as time passes on, do we just leave it on our table? Not that we've forgotten it. Not that we don't have it anymore that it's no longer the center of our life. Oops. And so, I think here's where we need to recognize that instead of being like the Galatians and being ready to change so quickly, God calls us to stand firm in our faith and to grow through our response. To grow with constant response. Because faith demands and requires a response. And this is where we can turn to James 2, 14 and 26, where he combines work and faith. Work and faith. Faith needs to be responded by with work. And he says in 2, 26, that faith apart from works is dead. Now, this is also very dangerous because I don't want us to think that faith equals works. Because faith does not equal works. But faith needs to be the source in which we do our actions and our responses. Because if we were to just do things and serve and be nice for the point of gaining merit with God, we would be no different than the Galatians right now. We would be doing exactly what Paul is telling them not to be like. But instead, we should do everything from the Christ who came down to die for us. We should do things 
from his sacrifice, from his justification. Christ needs to be the center from which we do all our actions. From his love, we know that we are loved and that we can go and love. From his grace, we know that we have received a gift far greater than anything we deserve and then we can go and show grace. From his kindness and his care, we know that we are provided for and then we can go and care for others. From his forgiveness, we know that no matter what we do, our sins are forgiven and we can go and forgive others. Our actions, our response, needs to be centered around what Christ has done for us. Not works on its own, not faith on its own, but a response to faith. And so how does this look? What does it mean to nurture our faith then? Because we hear a lot about, oh yeah, we need to work out our faith, we need to nurture our faith. How do we do that? I think in many ways, faith is like a muscle. You have, for those of you who work out, you know you have to stretch your muscles in order for it to be strengthened. Faith is the same way. We need to be stretched in our faith for it to grow. And our time of stretching can come at many different, at any moment. Our time of stretching can be when our church has an outreach event. Or our time of stretching can come when our friend or coworker asks us about Christianity, about what we believe. Our time of stretching can come when we have faced with a sin that we feel is too deep or too hard to bring up. For the boy in our story, his time of stretching came in his sophomore year of college. He was asked by his campus ministry to serve and lead, but at the same time his church was also asking him to serve in all these different ministries. What was he to do? He was also taking an overload of classes. He was also working part-time jobs. It would have looked really good if he just took all these things and just continued to serve. Everyone would have looked at him and been like, he is the perfect Christian. He had a decision he needed to make. So how then do we act in faith? How do we respond in faith with those examples I've just given? Maybe when we have that community outreach at our church or on our campus, instead of avoiding it, or doing what we think is more comfortable, we participate in sharing the gospel. Maybe when we, our friend asks us, or our coworker asks us about Christianity, about our faith, we're willing to participate in the conversation, to share, but also to be listening. And maybe, like the boy, when we have a situation where we are asked by all these different ministries to serve, we learn how to say no to some, so that we can focus on where God has called us to, so that we're not stretched and pulled in all these different ministries. For the boy, he chose to serve with his college ministry. And he had to learn how to say no to the church ministries. Not that he didn't still attend, not that he didn't still help out, but he couldn't be fully in those ministries. And by that, he learned how to walk daily relying on Christ. Because he had more than he could handle. But God gave him strength. Every day he would pray for strength. Every day he would make decisions based on his faith. Some days he would pick ministry over his academics or work. But some days he had to pick academics and work over his ministry. 
But through it all, the Holy Spirit was molding him and shaping him to make decisions based on Christ. And so he was learning how to live daily responding to the faith that he believed in. And so we remind him, and because trials and tests and decisions are going to be all throughout our life. And so, oops, we go too fast. I think I want to remind us again, standing firm in our faith begins with being known by God. Standing firm in our faith is grown with consistent response. Now this would be all fine and great if, if our life was this easy. If that's all we had to do for faith to grow is just to, is to respond in, this, in these ways and just watch as God stretches us. That'd be great. But there's more. Because we are faced with opposition at every corner. In Galatians 4, 17-18, we see that, this is the ESV, I know we read the NIV, we see that the Galatians were convinced and persuaded by the teachers that were there around them. They're convinced by the Judaizers that what they needed to do was the law. What they needed to follow was circumcision, was rituals. And they were convinced. They were convinced to shut out Paul, to shut out their fellowship with Christ. And Paul is here telling them that he came with them, he came to them to share this good news. But the moment he left them, they turned from him. The moment he left them, they turned from him. How about for us? Do we face opposition in our lives? Maybe it comes in the form of persecution. Maybe it comes in the form of different denominations with their minutely different theologies. Maybe we feel temptation from society. Or maybe opposition comes within our own church. Does our church have opposing views on things like women in leadership or LGBTQ issues or maybe how we spend our money or our finances? Do we also have opposition within our own church? For the boy, his opposition came in the form of temptations in his relationships, from his peers and his co-workers not agreeing with his faith. His opposition also came from within the church when other leaders didn't agree with the way he led. What are we to do in the midst of opposition? It is at this moment where God calls us to persevere through our opposition, to persevere and to endure through the trials. Because, like we mentioned before, our faith is like a muscle that needs to be stretched. But I think in these, when we're faced with opposition, God doesn't just stretch us. He completely strains us because he gives us more than we can ever handle so that we can learn to rely on him. So that we don't think that we can just go and handle and live out our faith on our own. He calls us to rely on him. He calls us to be in community. So, for us, when can opposition, oops, when can opposition come forth? Maybe it is when our friends, our our friends tell us, it's okay to be lazy, it's okay to procrastinate, it's okay to skip class. Or maybe when our co-workers tell us just to put in the minimal amount of effort at work and that will be good enough for the day. Instead of going with that flow, 
We should stand firm in our faith and be faithful where God has placed us. Be diligent where God has placed us. Maybe our time of opposition when our friend challenges us about our faith. Why do you even believe in Christ? It's not even rational. It makes no sense. Times of opposition, we should stand firm in our faith. And I think this is actually a great opportunity because I want us to know now, we do not have to have all the answers. I think many times we're afraid to approach a conversation or to be in the conversation because we think we're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to say that Jesus actually didn't die or something like that. But not having an answer is also an okay answer. It's how we follow up with that. It's okay to say, I don't know the answer. But I don't think it's okay to be like, okay, let's never talk about this again. Let's just close that door. I think it's okay. this is an opportunity for us to be willing to pursue, to be willing to learn on our own, because we don't know everything there is to know about Scripture. But this is a great opportunity for us to try to learn, to explore. Maybe our time of opposition comes from sin within ourselves. Many times, sin is our greatest opposition. The sin that we hide deep down because we don't think it is okay. We don't think it is can be forgiven. We push it way down. I'm going to liken our sins and our situation to laundry, to dirty laundry. So when we first believe in Christ, we come up to Christ, we're like, here's our dirty laundry, here's our sins. We know we can't clean them. We've tried, we've scrubbed, it doesn't, the stains don't come off. But we know that you can save us. You, we know that you can clean it. So, here you go. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for cleaning it. And then Christ comes and asks us, is that all? And we say, yes, yes, that, that's all of it. That's all our sin. We have no more. But in our hearts we know we have that one dirty shirt that we haven't washed in a really long time. Maybe it's not even a shirt, it's something else. We keep it under our bed or we leave it in our closet. We don't take it out because we don't think it can be washed. We don't take it out because it's just way too dirty. We don't want to show Christ this shirt because we don't want him to know just how dirty we really are. We don't show Christ's shirt because we don't want him to know who we really are. But brothers and sisters, I think this is the shirt that God is calling us to bring before him. This shirt, along with all the others, is the one that God wants to tell us that Christ is enough. That his blood washes away even this dirty shirt. He wants us to recognize that no matter how hard we try to wash it, it won't be clean. But with Christ's blood, it can be clean. That was really corny, I know. I loved it, though. It was wonderful. Christ calls us to bring forth even our dirtiest sin, even our worst sin. And so then, this is just some, very few, of the oppositions that we can face in our life. This would be nice if we were just willing to jump into every single opposition that we can. We'd just jump into every situation that is difficult. But we don't do that. 
We don't do that because we know that when we're faced with opposition, when we're faced with things, with trials, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the future. We don't know what the results are going to be. It is at this moment that I really like this quote from Campus Crusade. Take bold steps of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results up to God. I think this, this quote encompasses everything that we're trying to say here. Because we need to respond. We need to take that bold step of faith. We need to take that step knowing what Christ has done and the power of the Holy Spirit. But the results, what ends up happening, that's not in our hands. That's not for us to worry about. God's got that. We need to be willing to respond. We need to be willing to also surrender the results up to God. For the boy in our story, we come back to him again. His his time of opposition came when one of his friends came up to challenge him on his faith. Asked him, hey, you're a Christian. You should know about this or this. And he knew he should have been able to answer that question. But at that moment, his mind was blank. He just didn't know what to say. Instead of trying to give a random response, instead of trying to avoid the conversation, he said, let me get back to you on that. He went back home and he studied, he researched, he explored. He brought it before his community at church, before his brothers and sisters, and together they learned. Together they grew. And later when he saw his friend again, he was able to share with him what he had learned. But he was also willing to listen. He was also willing to listen. He was willing to persevere through this opposition, not alone, but in community. Because even through opposition, we need to stand firm in our faith. Our faith is augmented by persevering through the trials, through the oppositions. We might not know what may come of the results, but we know that it is in God's hands. And And so just as Paul tells the Galatians that he's going to be in pain for them until Christ is born in them, informed in them, may we continue to walk with Christ. May we continue to walk and grow in Christ. We come back and we end off with the story of this little boy. Now we've seen him a lot of times up there already and we kind of hear a little bit about the stories that he's, the things that he's gone through. He went from knowing God, not knowing God, to knowing God. He went from knowing God to being known by God. And then he learned how to grow in his faith and he learned how to persevere through opposition. For those of you who have guessed it already, this boy is me. But at the same time, this boy is many of us. We may not have the same story, the same testimony as this kid has, but we are on our walk with Christ. Maybe we're at that place where we're just getting to know and being known by God. We're building that relationship with Him. Or maybe we're at that place where God is teaching us what it means to grow daily, to act, to respond daily. Or maybe we're in the thick and thin of our trials and oppositions. We're learning how to persevere through it. We are that kid. And as it just so happens, our story isn't over yet. 
Because we are just beginning on our faith journey. God has more in store for us to learn, to grow, to experience. And and so may we remember the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. May we continue to act from the grace and love that Christ has shown us. May we continue to endure through the trials and the tests, remembering that the results are in God's hands. May we stand firm in our faith. Not that we have to do it alone, that we know that we can do it through Christ. Amen. Yep. So, let me just close this off. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your work. We thank you for the love that you've shown us. We thank you for the grace that you've shown us. God, may we continue to be bold. May we continue to be faithful in all that we do and all that we are. And may you continue to strengthen us, to stretch us, to teach us how to stand firm in our faith. May we surrender all this into your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like to share with you uh, my favorite verse.